I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. It's been an incredible honor to be with you this entire week and there are some words in broadcasting that just never existed until the Maha invented them. Open Line Friday are three words put in that order that never existed before. Today is the day that uh, the Lord has made for us as a gift for us, opportunity to be generous. Even in these times in which we live with all the unique responsibilities inherent therein. See, I can do the lawyer speak thing. It's 800-282-2882 if you'd like to join us. Uh, There's a sort of a thing about being a trustworthy person, and it kind of goes like this. Like, if you want people to think that you are not a liar, don't lie all the time. Like, make an effort to not lie. Maybe even most of the time, tell the truth. Maybe even the preponderance of the time. Now, there was a time when this was sort of a thing with journalism that was kind of a big deal. Who, what, where, when, why, truthfully. NBC Nightly News has been caught deceptively editing the Columbus shooting video and 911 call. You will remember... I believe it was last week, I think it was CBS News that got caught with a deceptive edit of the um, the, the lead-up to the, the tragic killing of, of Duante Wright shooting. He had a gun. He was also called Lil Homicide, which is, in fact, part of the story. Should have been. So when you do this, you lose credibility. But there's something else I want us to understand. Because as we attempt to get our country back, We are also working with people who are 
traumatized. Obviously, people who witness shootings and cops who are forced to decide whether to take a life to save a life, that's a trauma that we can pray we never go through and pray for the people who have been through that. And the United States, people who turn to the Mockingbird Media members for their news are traumatized people. They're traumatized about the COVID flu, about the global warming. They're traumatized about race relations. They're traumatized and they're lied to. Sometimes suggestively, sometimes obviously. But all it's, it, it is, it's like a hurricane of this stuff. We have this program. We have conservative media outside of this program. We have RushLimbaugh.com. We have all these tools. We have our own intelligence guided by experience. Some people don't. They just have the mockingbirds. So they've been caught deceptively editing the 911 call and the video. First, let's go here to the original 911 call. 911, where is your emergency? Is there an apartment number letter? What's going on? Here in the background, the police car arriving. Here is what NBC played. We need a police officer here now. That's what the victims of NBC heard. Now, they also apparently deceptively edited the video. And I remind you, we talked about this yesterday in the program. The police officer, when he arrived, had three seconds. Three, two, one. He's trying to break up a fight to de-escalate. He had to jump up. He had to assess that one girl was about to stick a knife in the gut of another girl. Then he had to aim and shoot at the girl who at that point was in this disordered emotional state, it seemed, trying to kill somebody. Three, two, one. And NBC uh, played all of two seconds of the video. So now you know... You are in trouble when even Fredo Cuomo, Fredo, I'm sorry, and Don Lemon agree that NBC was wrong. I heard some people were reporting on the incident without showing the knife. Yeah, you got you to show all of it. is malpractice. Yeah, and again. That's looking for trouble. It's tough. And that's wrong. Yeah, it's almost like hiding, oh, I don't know, the Hunter Biden story for, oh, I don't know, a couple of years or pretending hydroxychloroquine will kill one or hiding the research that woke masks don't work, that lockdowns are ineffective and and all those sort of, you know, little details that you leave out of your story. But even now they're calling out NBC. Let's go to Imagineville. Can you imagine 
what the Mockingbird media would have been able to hide and lie about without Rush exposing them as he does right here. I am sitting here shocked and stunned, and I'm just that NBC would... No, this is not the first time. They blew up a truck. Remember back on one of those uh, shows like Dateline? It was a GM truck. They blew up. They rigged it to blow up as though it would do so naturally. They rigged the thing to blow up by doctoring a tape. They actually left a couple sentences out of the 9-11 call from George Zimmerman to make it look like the only thing on his mind was race when it wasn't. We've got the audio sound bites to prove it. This is typical. I expect NBC, after their investigation, to stand by this thing. You know what they're going to say? Well, Zimmerman said it. They didn't put anything in that Zimmerman didn't say. They just left out a bunch of stuff he did say. And they left out a question he was asked. But they'll say he said it. Race is a template in the media. This is the race business. It doesn't matter if the percentages are 1% of black people murdered are murdered by whites. That's enough to propel the race industry. And they're going to focus on it. And they're going to say race, race, race. And so you've got somebody steeped in media traditions at NBC. And that template is almost branded in their brain. It's almost embellished. And so if they're reading a transcript and they see that they can assemble the various elements of the conversation in a way that confirms what they believe going in, they'll do it. And they think they're performing a service. They don't think they've doctored anything. They think they're helping everybody understand what's really going on here, what really happened. And they're cutting away all of the irrelevant fat from the story, getting right to the meat and potatoes. That's what this guy thinks he's doing. There may be an element of somebody knowingly falsifying this and trying to get away with it. My point to you is that this is so indelled in their brains that they don't think there's anything wrong with doctoring the tape. Remember, getting to the truth as they see it and as it's been explained to them and as they've been taught is all that matters. Anyway, we'll play the two segments of the tape to show you what happened, let you hear it. This is a tape of George Zimmerman's 911 call. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around looking about. Okay, and this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. George Zimmerman. This guy looks like he's up to no good. On drugs or something. Raining, he's walking around looking about. Dispatcher, okay, is he white, black, or Hispanic? Zimmerman, he looks black. Here's how it aired on NBC. This guy looks like he's up to no good. He looks black. A 100% distortion, a 100% recreation of what happened. In order to put together that soundbite that you just heard, they had to knowingly and willingly edit the question of the dispatcher. And then they had to edit Zimmerman saying he looks black right after he says he looks like he's up to no good. But Zimmerman wasn't through when he said this guy looks like he's up to no good. That's where NBC stopped it. Zimmerman kept on. After he said this guy looks like he's up to no good, he said, or he's on drugs or something. It's raining. He's walking around looking about. NBC takes that out. They took the dispatcher question out, and they added on Zimmerman saying he looks black. What is there to investigate here? Anybody with two ears and an IQ of 50 knows what happens here. Is the investigation of who did it? Are they investigating if it's wrong? 
What are they investigating at NBC? They are investigating how they can get out of this. They are investigating how they can come up with a plausible explanation for this. That's what NBC is doing. Listen to them again. This is what actually happened. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around looking about. Okay, and this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. This is what NBC aired. This guy looks like he's up to no good. He looks black. This is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. This is one of the most glaring, obvious, egregious examples of racial bias and hatred. And yes, it is hatred at NBC that led to this. There is no compassion here. There's no open-minded here. There's no tolerance here. Why didn't the 9-11 dispatcher ask if he was a white Hispanic? Isn't that standard category now? Dispatcher says, is he white, black, or Hispanic? I didn't hear him say, is he white, black, or white Hispanic? The New York Times added that for us into the uh, lexicon. And NBC on their Dateline show or whatever show was blew up that truck. They were trying to show that if you bought and drove this particular truck, be aware, it could blow up on you. And they had a demonstration of how this just randomly happens. And they ran the demonstration. And it was later learned that they had rigged explosives in the truck. It's just a thing. Just if you don't want people to think you're liars, don't lie all the time. And also this. Please, let's remember this in our hearts. People are victimized by NBC and CNN and other Mockingbird media outfits. And if we will remember that, we can deal with them more effectively. Kids, young people are being taught, literally. I'm going to tell you literally to disrespect cops. We come back, we'll talk about that, how it's happening, and you'll hear Rush explain how he learned to have respect for law enforcement. Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network. Now, did you see that? How that uh, Rush talking about NBC selectively editing the George Zimmerman uh, you know, 911 call? How that matches up to today's news. I mean, it's it's a lot of work for the team EIB to go grab these things when you have you know three decades of of broadcast brilliance to work with, but it's it shouldn't be this easy to just compare it up to today. I view myself sometimes and other people from the West Coast, and I'm, I'm sure Ken, you know, from Pennsylvania has it, obviously he has the stuff in, in Philadelphia, and Mark Stein has been able to tell us his experiences. I think we all can bring some experiences to the table. Because I, I am from the West Coast, I view myself as a bit of a Terminator. Not, not that I think I look like Arnie yet. Well, I mean the younger Arnie yet. <laughs> I am working on some facsimile of that or some functional facsimile of that. But I, I do want to share with you a possible future. A, a possible future is where kids are taught in grade school, in government schools, how to be agitators how to question cops literally how to question them well they are suggested in high school and junior high classes that if you see a cop interacting with a what they will call a BIPOC person which is just another way of putting people into boxes and and in counting people by the least important factors that is the melanin level of their skin cheekbones it's not even culture it's not even culture it's just color This stuff is leading us to an inexorable point of a flippant society 
from which we can't return. And the flip in society is good people will no longer be cops because they're aware it's it's not it's not a sucker's game. These are brave people. They're willing to go into the scary circumstances. But when they understand that they're not to be good people, because what the left is seeking out of cops is they want people to install and press authoritarian um, sort of orders. And this is this is clear because they are dedicated to teaching them to be SJWs, to be social justice warriors. So you will see things. This has become common on the West Coast. I am not joking. And I'm not, it's, it wouldn't be funny if I was. For cops to pull up to a stoplight, to look over next to them, and there's some woman in her mid-50s who rolls down her window and says, I hope you get shot today. From a woman in the 50s. It's also not uncommon for cops on the West Coast to pull someone over who turns out to be Hispanic, who says, I am an illegal immigrant. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't even charge me. You know I'm going to be out the next day. And the cop, out of curiosity, may go check if he's allowed to and find out. No, he's not. He grew up here. It's this flipping of society. It's, It's teaching disrespect for cops and teaching these kids and these young people that they hold the power. So, look, this is going to be a bigger story, policing, this spring than it ever has been. More people are getting conned into, I've seen it with my family members. Defunding the police isn't ending the police. Many of us grew up with respect for law and order, and equally important, the men and women in blue who strap it on. So what was your experience growing up? Rush shared his first-person encounter and learning experience this way. The ponytail guy came to my mind. That's the guy. In the Perot Clinton H.W. Uh, Bush debate in 1992. And I think that was in Raleigh, North Carolina. Ponytail guy stood up. What are you going to do to take care of us? What are you going to do? It's an adult. What are you going to do to take care of us and bring us together and, and protect us? And man, you should have seen Clinton practically bowled over a couple of chairs to get to the microphone to answer it first. You know, where I grew up, two blocks away, lived a Missouri State Highway Patrolman. I can't remember his name. I was scared to death of the guy. I never saw him in uniform. I just knew he lived there. I was afraid to ride my bicycle past the place. I was just, I had that much respect for law enforcement. I was, I, as a young kid, I'm talking about it. It didn't help. <laughs> get, when I was, I don't know, seven or eight or nine, my mother put me on a bus to go see my grandmother in the boot heel of Missouri. And the bus did not go to the town where she lived. It stopped in a town nearby, Bloomfield. And it stopped at a diner truck stop type place. So my grandmother met me and we went in there and had a burger, Coke, whatever I had as a little kid. And in walked a Missouri State Highway Patrolman. And my grandmother looked at me. He's going to get you. He's going to get you. What have you done? He's coming here for you. She was teasing me, but she put the fear of God in me. Oh, my God. He's coming for me? What did I do? You must have done something. That's why he came in here. I'm seven or eight years old. So every time I drove by the highway patrol guy's house two blocks away from mine, I was a little trepidatious when I did it. But no, I mean, 
when I was growing up, the people that made things safe uh, and cared and wanted to protect me from the things good, that was my parents. Now, I realize that's terribly insensitive, and it's not the way things are in America today. And I realize that I have spoken out of turn. Today, I, I realize I have been very hurtful with that comment and observation. And I know that that's not the way America is anymore. And for me to say that is uh, inflammatory, it's intimidating, but that's what my first reaction was. Mine was, I had an uncle who was a cop. And uh, <laughs> I didn't always love my uncle because he was also a, a prankster. But man, I always wanted him to come home. And I always realized, hey, my uncle's a cop. Maybe a lot of them are good people. So we'll return on the EIB Network. We will get your phone calls coming up on Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. One of the great treats of being a guide host is visiting with fellow fans of Rush. And I, I just love the opportunity to chat with you. The, the, the left and their friends and coworkers in Mockingbird Media members and the personage of Mockingbird Media members have figured out uh, a great mental unlocking system. And it's, it's fear. It is just absolutely pressing fear. And I think we talked yesterday on the show about losing your car keys and I was saying, hey, if you've lost your car keys, and that's that's hor- horrific and, and frustrating, and, and it puts you in a, in a disordered thinking state, imagine what it is to not be able to find a cop when you really have to have a cop. You, you are a fire person. You've got to have a firefighter. You can't find one. From the keys to the cops to the firefighter, right, it's a graduated state of fear. And I think that what the Mockingbird Media members are doing is they're saying, can we do with the orange man bad phenomena? Can we, can we do race in the same way? Can we get what we want by scaring people and putting people in a state of trauma about race? And I think what the left wants is, is they, and, and the Mockingbird Media members, is they want people never to be able to rest Never to be able, you know, don't let your opponent up. Don't let them rest. Never let them strategize. Gee, who said that? Who said that in terms of organizing? I can't recall. And the signs are everywhere from the way that they disproportionately focus on the shooting of unarmed black people in interactions with cops. In that disproportionate focus creates a disproportionate perception. People are scared to death. My kid could be next because 10,000 unarmed Black people are shot every year by by cops when the number is 15. They do the same thing with the COVID flu. My kid could die. Mm -hmm. Much more likely if your kid is, you know, below the age of 11, your kid is far more likely to die from a dog bite. But it gets people in these states of fear, and now we can have lockdowns and... Right, So I think what people, what, what we are observing, and I know this is a bit of a theme for this hour, is I think you more aware we are that we're dealing with people who have been legitimately traumatized. It's easier for us to have some kindness in dealing with people and trying to help them through this because yelling at them and arguing with them is not going to get us where we want to go. But But being able to say to them, I can see that this is really scary for you. I can see that you are really afraid. Right? And look, fear is powerful. Their emotions are real, even though they've been lied to and propagandized. 
I mean, this is a great example of the fact that leftists want people trapped in their feelings and like a carnival mirror house version of America, just as this protester's knowledge of the Constitution portrays. Right here in Audio Bite number six. It's hard to say because the problem is we have a white supremacy problem in this country, and it was written into the Constitution. And until that Constitution is changed, it's hard to say where we're, where we're headed. It's hard to feel like there's going to be justice in this country ever for people of color. We're standing on stolen land right now. It, 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 the Constitution has been changed. It has been changed. The so-called three-fifths you know, person compromise has been changed a long time ago. That's a traumatized woman. Traumatized people don't think of the facts that, well, the tribes fought over land. They were fierce warriors, and many of the tribes were proud of that. I mean, this is all leftism, and it's all central to them being able to continue their failed policies. Rush, in fact, predicted what leftism would do in America. And in June of 2020, the Maha provided us a play-by-play to the ruin it continues to pour down upon us. They're also, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, one of the themes that I have been on well, for a long time, but I've been intensely trying to drive home a point for the last two weeks, three weeks, and that is the utter failure of the Democrat Party to come through for its constituents. You've heard me say this I don't know how many times. Maybe you're a little tired of hearing me say it. The Democrat Party has been promising utopia. And yet, where is all this police brutality happening in Democrat blue states? It's so bad that they're now seriously going to defund police departments in Minneapolis, in New York, and in California. Liberalism is on record here as a total failure, folks. Socialism on record, on display, as a total failure. The Democrat Party, which is the home of all of that, on display as a public massive failure. Everything they have been promising their constituents are things for 50 years their constituents still have grievances about Their constituents are still complaining. The point is that the Democrat Party, as it is constituted and as it is functioning today, all of this that's happening, that's in relationship to the George Floyd murder. It's all a failure. The fact that George Floyd was murdered is a testament to the failure of liberal Democrat politics. Where did it happen? This kind of racism and bigotry and ugly behavior by the cops, the Democrats are supposed to have fixed that, right? I mean, that's what the Democrat Party promises. There isn't going to be any of that stuff anymore. There isn't going to be any meanness. There isn't going to be an extremism where Democrats run the show, where Democrats rule the roost, because that's where there's going to be fairness and equality and sameness and all that. And yet... The worst examples of Americans' depravity, the worst of examples of America's economic failing, the worst examples of America's lack of morality are to be found right smack dab in the middle of Democrat Party institutions, platforms, and existence. So these protests, I don't care, peaceful or otherwise— They are demonstrations against failed 
Democrat blue state governors. They are demonstrations against failed blue state mayors and city managers. We're being told that all these protests are aimed at us, us Republicans and us conservatives, but we didn't do anything that's made them mad. That stuff's all happening in blue states. Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul, liberal blue states, liberal blue cities, running the police department. This is not supposed to be possible with Democrats running things. But look, it is. And it hasn't changed in 50 years. All of these protests from sea to shining sea, coast to coast, are in response to deplorable and failed Democrat liberal leadership. And you need to take note of this. It should result in these people getting fewer and fewer and many fewer people voting for them. Because they're failures. Donald Trump is not responsible for whatever grievances these people are marching against. Donald Trump wasn't there when George Floyd died. Donald Trump wasn't anywhere near when that went down. I would be mad, too, if I'd given these people 50 years of my money and 50 years of my vote in exchange for a promise of access to power and end to racism, no more cops harassing me. I'd be livid, too. But somehow they have convinced African-American voters that their problems somehow magically have uh, become Donald Trump, who's been president for three years of the 50-plus years these problems have existed. Anyway, I'm a little long in this segment, but it was worth it. I'm sure you will agree. One of my favorite sentences from the Maha was, went a little long in this segment. And we all agreed. We all agreed. I think one of the dynamics that's occurred, uh, because I come from, you know, the communist country of Seattle, is I think the leftists have sort of figured out, you know what? We actually don't have a plan for governance, and it's working for us. Because we'll topple things, and then we'll come with what's next. And look, there are people in office on the West Coast who are admitted communists Topple, then then we'll fight it out. I think that's one of the dynamics that's occurred. We come back, you will want to hear part of a call from yesterday that we're actually going to feature twice, a part, and then the rest of it. You will want to hear this. As we continue, it's Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network, and I'm so thankful to the team and for you we talked about adding an affiliate in Atlanta this week. Uh, we talked about adding an advertiser. <laughs> we talked about Rush being back in the news cycle because they can't let go of the knowledge that Rush owned them for many, many years in the Mockingbird media. One thing I want to get to before we get to the film is actually two things. There is a, um, a news report out of CARE, K-A-R-E 11 News, um, and Lou Ragusa did the report. And it's one of the jurors in the Chauvin case. And I'm thankful for the report and this point of view, the juror. And I just I, in the in the in the um, the context of this interview, though, something didn't make it on the air that made it into the transcript. And this juror said in, in, in the jury room, by the way, they only knew each other by juror number. They apparently didn't feel safe telling each other their names. 
So this juror said, and it's in the transcript here, I did not want to go through rioting and destruction again. And I was concerned about people coming to my house if they were not happy with the verdict. Now, she says that she believes Chauvin was guilty. So that that was her belief. And I don't know this woman's soul. I do know that people can be really, really scared. And I think this had an effect on this. Now, on that topic of fear and respect for the cops, yesterday in the second hour, we had a really remarkable caller, a woman named Joyce from Houston, who called and spoke so passionately and eloquently about how the young people in her mostly black neighborhood are being raised to hate the cops. She started slow, but, man, she caught fire. Here is a sample. We have taught them to hate the policeman. We teach it from little bitty things. We tell them, if you're bad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the policeman. You put that in that baby's mind that the policeman is bad. There are a few bad policemen, but basically the policemen are out there to do a job to protect us. You will want to hear the rest of Joyce's call, and you'll get an opportunity to do that in the third hour of Russia's show today. Let's talk now with Charles in Albany, Oregon. Beautiful place. Charles, welcome to the Russian Bob program. Todd Herman, your guide host. Hi, Charles. Hello. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So for those so for those that care, just I happen to be black, but uh, I'm a part of the human race, and that's all I care about. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I grew up um, with... Uh, with an, a healthy relationship with police officers, honoring them and respecting them. And I know for fact that has to do in part with the intentional symbiotic relationship that the school district had with the local uh, law, law enforcement. So we saw them all the time, assemblies with hot rods. Uh, it was the 80s, so we participated in D.A.R.E. And uh, so I, I grew up respecting them so much that I remember the day that I stopped objecting to wearing my seatbelt. I was in high school, and a California highway patrolman had said, kids, I want you to know that I have never unbuckled a dead body. And because I respected oh. him, and I, and I, and I, in general, even though I didn't know him, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to stop bucking that that rule. And so, um, locally, there's an issue. And I'm going to try to be a, a really objective on this. Um, the local superintendent asked the p- police um, who were honoring a, a, a long tradition of welcoming kids back to school. I mean, the pandemic kept them away, and so they were there welcoming the kids, cheering them on, and some folks complained. And so the superintendent sent them away. And the part that concerns me about that is this. If my son, who was a part of the public district, which he is not, um, if, he, if he had no policemen at, or police officers at his school, when seconds matter, the police would be just minutes away. And so what about what about the fear of, of parents that, that think that way versus the, the fear of the parents that are afraid of having police at school? But also my concern is, and I'll, let, I'll turn it over to you, is that it, it, it kind of gives credence to, to mob rule, right? Because someone like yep. me might give you a call or I might complain to a couple people and then I'll go back to work. But <laughs> the folks on the other side, They'll, they'll make a big stink about it. And I think that's probably why the superintendent made the decision that that, that she did. It, it, yes, it, it does give credence to mob rule. It is, it's demonstrative of it showing children we are afraid of the police. Everybody is afraid of the police. It's not a respect for. It's not a respect and a fear for the law. It's a fear of a human being because they wear a uniform. And I used to work right. with a, a, a cop uh, who was in... Uh, who, who was the school resource officer in our in our area? 
in, in our school. And he was a black man. And the magic was he went to that school. And so he could relate to kids in that way that he went to that school, right? And now in the modern era of everyone needs to be afraid of cops, that's the sort of cop they ban from the school, a guy with this history. And so when a kid needs a cop, you don't want the first time a kid has had to talk to a cop when they're scared or they've been told they're scary. You can't have that. And, yes, it does lead to this upside-down world. It does lead to the invitation for thugs to become the cops. Because, th- look, nature abhors a, va- a vacuum. There's no such thing as anarchy. It will be the people who have the capacity for violence, the willingness to carry it out, and the tools thereof who run things. If that's not cops, it's going to be someone. Thanks for the call, Charles. Appreciate it very much as a Thanks member God. of the human race. Thank you so much. Uh, t- we will continue on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman, your guide host this week on said EIB Network. You know, we got to be fair, really. Let's, let's, look, sometimes, well, let's just call this out. I mean, I know we, we're all conservatives. We all want our country back, but we can be fair. This, this thing, and it's obviously misspeaking. Um, that uh, that you know, President Trump was speaking about, you know, climate change, and, and said, uh, you know, we've he was going to go one step further that that a net getting to net zero carbon is not enough that 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 we need to eliminate carbon entirely from our atmosphere, and yeah, I mean, you can't do that because then the plants can't breathe. But oh yeah, no doubt it wasn't wasn't President Trump who said that. It, <laughs> it's it's um, John Kerry. John Kerry has announced that we're going to eliminate carbon from the atmosphere. So that you know how hard that's going to be. This hard. It's what we exhale. And speaking of that. Joe Biden's dementia had a phone call with some leaders and bosses of countries around the world. Only Joe Biden's dementia was wearing a woke mask. It was about vaccines. But I, we weren't going to talk about this. But again, Greta Thunberg has weighed in. So we'll get to that. But she did it by exhaling carbon. We can't have that. we got to get no carbon in the atmosphere. It's Todd Herman, your guide host in the EIB Network. Hour 2 next. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. 
Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Change the world for good by putting others before yourself to glorify God. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. With over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Let it flourish. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Who's there for heroes or the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is severely injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans and who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran Programs comprise their In the Line of Duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America in so many ways. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institutes educating kids in K-12 through grades, to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, it's just, how do I put this? Uh, a warm feeling to gather with you to be the guide host this week on Russia's program in this week of days created by the Lord as a gift to us, opportunity for us to be grateful even in these insane times we live. Texas is getting it. They get it. Greg Abbott and the folks in Texas get this. They understand the stakes. They know what's going on. Have I said that in enough ways? The Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration for ignoring their precious COVID-19 rules at the border. Now, this is finally an opportunity to hear from SARS-CoV-2, the virus itself, that it can explain how it is able to pick and choose who it infects and who it does not, how it is able to know that restaurants are perfectly safe if... You wear your woke mask while walking to the table. You can take it off at the table. The virus can testify. We can get Fauci to testify. They get this. Congratulations, Texas, on being a part of Real America. Thank you for this. It is a bizarre thing to speak this following sentence to you. I'm going to change one word. This is a true statement. I'm going to change one word. See if you can figure out which word I have changed. The Washington State Department of Health is going to let providers deny vaccines to black people for equity. What what word did I change? 
Yes, you're right. It is white people to whom they're denying access. This comes from, and I would get in trouble if I didn't do this. My friend and colleague Jason Rance at KTTH in Seattle had this as an exclusive story. So they're calling for, they're, they're in fact enforcing racial distribution of, these, of, of the mRNA injections. But all that aside, there is Greta Thunberg to consider. You can have, for instance, the round table that another great, great Republican governor put on in the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis had a great roundtable with world-famous immunologists and epidemiologists and scientists to talk about the lack of efficacy of the selective lockdowns and of masking. And just to go through the data on this, the, the, the data is overwhelming that the lockdowns are medically useless and deadly and only, only, only harm some, right? Small businesses, churches, etc. That gets disappeared from YouTube. Just, and so now Ron DeSantis is up on Rumble.com, which we should all join. And Rand Paul was denied an appearance. He's a doctor. He was denied an appearance in one of the Mockingbird media outlets to talk about the COVID flu, but not Greta Thunberg. She is speaking to Congress about how rich countries have, have, have overlooked the quote, so-called vaccine or caused vaccine inequality. So just to put this in a proper frame, Here's a young woman, Greta Thunberg, who's basically emotionally trafficked by the mockingbird media and the left, and she is effectively threatening Congress. How long do you honestly believe that people in power like you will get away with it? How long do you think you can continue to ignore the climate crisis, the global aspect of equity and historic emissions without being held accountable? So she goes from vaccine equity around the mRNA injections to now we're back to climate change, which is, of course, her studied area of expertise as a teen. And she, she is, well, I will say this for her, truly. She has more, she says it more directly to the people in power than, than, very, than many Republicans will say. You know, on on these topics, how long do you think you can go spending money we don't have for things we don't need? How long do you think you can go allowing the, the, a domestic terrorist organization or two to roam the country committing violence whenever they choose without that violence effectively being turned on the citizenry itself? And, and, and God forbid that, not others. How long do you think you can go? How far do you think you can go shoving words down the mouths of the American people, etc.? Right? At least she says it, even if it's in sort of a threatening way. But she's a teen. Now, let's go back and do a, a whataboutism. The left decided to try to ban whataboutisms. So you'll see this, oh, well, without getting into the realm of whataboutisms, whataboutisms are nothing more than this. When I left for work this morning, I was married and my wife lived here. I got home, she's gone, there's a note on the counter that says divorce. You, in your circumstance, have changed. That's a whataboutism. So you go to the divorce attorney, what do I do? Well, I don't practice uh, the realm of whataboutisms. So let's do a whataboutism, because they're important. Do you remember Nick Sandman? Okay, he was from Covington High School. 
You remember how CNN verbally assaulted him before they were <laughs> forced to settle a lawsuit with him? Rush Limbaugh provides a brilliant example of how the media treated him versus Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, this has got to tread very carefully here. The young girl has some, well, she's Asperger's and she's, yeah, but she's got intense or whatever, the autism. These, ad- these people need to be so ashamed of what they have done to the children of this world. You know, watching this young girl, there's no question. She really believes her planet is dead in 10 years. She really believes, she, and, and she believes all the adults have done this. It, and these Democrats, these professors, these, these people in the media, they go out and they start talking about this stuff in order to get people to believe them. See, nobody believes climate change, so they keep making it more drastic. 10 years and we're dead. 12 years and we're dead. Still nobody believes it. Five years and we're dead. Still nobody believes it. They come up with more. Well, these kids are believing it. And, of course, Greta Thunberg, well, you can put her on TV, let her go to the United Nations, become an official spokesman. The Democrats can use her and exploit her all they want, just like they exploited so-called starving kids in 95. But contrast that with the way they treated 16-year-old Nick Sandman of the Covington High School kids. Nick Sandman didn't have a right to smile. There were people who wanted to wipe that smile off his face. There were Democrat media people that wanted to punch that guy out because of the way he was looking at that Indian activist. Nathan, whatever his name was. Well, yeah, so if you're a young child and you can act and you can espouse the left-wing agenda, they'll make a star out of you. And they'll put you up in the United Nations and they'll bring you in in a sailboat and they'll make you look like you're environmentally pure. They will exploit the hell... They're standing by these people. These adults are actually, they're standing by and allowing this young girl to believe a bunch of pap. They are willing for this young girl to go through her life literally scared to death. They are willing to let this young girl go through her life believing she has no life because there isn't going to be a planet. They are perfectly willing to stand by and watch this girl's life be ruined because of the filth and the dribble that they've put in her head. You can't define exploitation any better than that. If people looked at this in the proper perspective, there would be so much rage at everybody in this climate change hoax because Greta Thunberg is just a stand-in for every child in America, they've corrupted this way. Would you raise a child? Some people do because they're not mentally balanced themselves. Raise a kid believing that your life only has 10 years because of a political party? Because the Republicans want to kill the earth? They want to kill the planet? They don't care about you and you keep telling that this is how you raise your kids? Who does this? They put their causes and their issues and their quest for power even over the health of their own children and then have the audacity to go around and telling us they care about the children. They're the ones looking out for the children and somehow we are the ones posing the threat. And remember this. Every single leftist and technocrat caught without a woke mask, caught ignoring their own travel advice or or, or own travel diktats, caught going to restaurants when we were told we could not, caught, caught, caught. None of them believe those measures are saving lives. None of them. Not one of them. And yet, around the country, they have little kids wrapped up in woke masks. 
It's, it's just amazing to go from Rush's analysis of that to the other. You know, Rush really appreciated the service of one particular sponsor that provided so many families in this audience. It's Legacy Box. And time and again, he made the simple complex. Rush explained what Legacy Box does to help families hold on to great memories on old videotapes and film reels. Give this a listen. So I want to remind you about Legacy Box, folks. Uh, they provide a great service to so many people. They transfer family memories captured on old videotape and film. They do it on the digital files and DVDs. They have the expertise. They have the equipment to do it. They can take on every known videotape, cassette, or film type and make the transfer, no matter how old it is. You can't watch this stuff anymore because you don't have VHS or Betamax players. You don't have Super 8 film projector, but you've got all these memories. They can transfer it. Now, just to give you an idea, they've done it now for more than a million families nationwide. This is one project that really is worth taking on. Most of us have all these old pictures, videos, reels of film stored away. We haven't seen them in years, decades in some cases. You just need Legacy Box. In a couple of weeks, they will transfer all those old films and VHS, whatever video format you've got. They'll put it on DVD or thumb drive, send it back to you in two weeks. And from there, you can copy it, edit it, give it to everybody else in the family and never, ever not be able to see it again. The rewards are so great. Rediscovery of all those old events and memories brings so many smiles, so much laughter. It's good mood-inducing. So start the project online. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Rush. See, if you put the slash Rush in there, you'll save some money. 40% off the regular price. They will ship you the Legacy Box. It's just it's, it's uh, shielded and protected so that what you put in it doesn't get damaged. They ship you the Legacy Box. You put all the cassettes, all the film reels, all the photos, whatever you've got, you put it in that box, and you send it back to them. And in two weeks' time, they'll have it transferred however you want it. Cloud file, DVD, thumb drive, you name it. LegacyBox.com slash Rush is the name of the website. It's Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network. Just a reminder, we've done – the team this week has just been stellar in bringing the three decades of Russia's work and comparing it to today's news and events. Please remember that the Limbaugh you know, the Museum, you know, uh, EIB Museum, exists. It's online. At Rush 24-7, if you are not a member of that, it's going to be something you regret not having. Because when you go there and you see what's available and what we do in the show, you can have that all at your fingertips, including the TV show, etc. There's so much there. You can get it at RushLimbaugh.com. All right, there was a bit of a run-up to this phone call. I'm going to tell you that, that Greg is screening calls today told me that the call we're going to have on here could be, could be a, a competitor to Joyce from Houston. Uh, because of the eloquence and the passion. And and so I'm going to just do this. I'm going to trust Greg's instincts. He's one of the best in radio. And I'm going to welcome Firecracker to the show. And I'm going to give Firecracker a time frame. Because even us guide hosts have time frames. Firecracker, first of all, welcome to Russia's show. It's Todd Herman, your guide host. I'm glad you called. You're my hero. Russ is my hero. Kathy is my hero, Mr. Ken, Mr. Sony, and my hero. Let's be clear about something. I'm not a competitor, Ms. Joyce, 
I was kicking and screaming yesterday. I heard everyone say that. But let's be clear. She's my family. My husband heard me. Everyone heard me. So I'm going to say it like it is. I love you guys. She's my hero. Miss Beth is my hero. Stop talking about the fun and my heroes. Now my husband's been all 50 states. We travel quite a bit. They're standing next to me, the Border Patrol, President Trump. I'm a Christian conservative Republican. I'm black, white, and Indian. I shall stand. They ask me all the time, and so I pray they're listening to me because I'm standing no matter what. This is America. Stop the kneeling NFL. Stand by heroes. They did nothing wrong. They are not racist. They just love us. I'm standing next to them. I chase them like a puppy. If my husband is listening to he's thinking, Firecracker, that was you yesterday. I said, no, she's just my hero. I keep telling her, I'm in California. It's Christian service Republicans, but they will not put on their big boy pants. It's now liberals in California. President Trump is on my gate right now. My community family gave me his flag. I shall stand, Mr. Todd. I love you. Everyone freaks out all the time. I always tell them, why don't you stand? They ask me, where did it come from? I said, I was born into a Jesus. I'm a Christian conservative Republican. My family served this country. I don't think so. This is America. The Border Patrol, no. I'm standing next to them, too. I pray they're listening. But everyone can actually do something today. I'm angry and I'm crying. They can actually thank a trooper. Freak them out and thank them. Stop talking about they're trying to beat their cars. They're not. They're trying to do their jobs. What are they supposed to do here? They are supposed to stand. They have to make a choice. Their families love them, too. So let's be clear, America. This is America. No third world country. If my baby had an amazing life in a free country, over 70 countries, he's I still stand for all the babies. And I'm so sick of Mr. Todd, everyone talking about the babies with the white skin. They did nothing wrong. They were born. Jesus set that up perfect. We all matter to Jesus, so I shall stand. I freak everyone out when they see me. They're like, are you 100 pounds? I say, I do not know, but I will stand for Jesus. I shall stand before him, and until I leave, I will stand. Russ is in glory now. Catherine did amazing. Mrs. Snurdy, you guys are amazing. No one wants to talk about the elephant in the room, so I'm talking about it today. I'm not compared to Miss Joyce and Miss Bessie. Amazing. But today, everyone can actually help everyone and actually love all my troopers. They are listening to this phone call. I called them, and when I say I've been in 50 states, I mean all of America. They always say, what is chasing me? They call me Firecracker, that little puppy. I'm not stopping. I love you, sir. Do you want to ask me something? Or am I done? Would you have any thoughts on uh, people like, let me ask you this. No, Firecracker, I do have some thoughts. I do have some thoughts. Um, we got about a minute together because your eloquence and your energy is awesome. It's just awesome. I'm sitting here with, I got the, the Chris Matthew shiver up my leg. The, the, so I want to ask you this. Do you have any thoughts on, I just want to pick a name out of the hat, like like Kamala Harris. Do you have any thoughts on, well, she's from California. you have any thoughts on Kamala Harris? Oh, absolutely. She's wicked. I told them not to vote for her, and let's get some on Obama. I told them not to vote for her. I was born in Chicago. That's the thing about this. I said this is going to be the biggest race war ever. My church family freaked out. I said, I don't think so. I was born into it. That's what I have on her. She's wicked. Biden, I told my baby boy, he's not the commander-in-chief. President Trump is my commander-in-chief. I shall stand. My family at the Trump rally, my husband put on a superwoman cage. I cried so bad. They were like, firecracker, you're freaking us out. You're going to be on the front door. I said, I don't care. I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to stand. Period. <laughs> Anything else, Mr. Todd? I do love you. You are my hero. Uh, just Let's say this. You know, here's what I want to say. Um, you mentioned the Lord's name multiple times. You do know that I love the fact that you noticed that Jesus made 
us of all these different colors. The Lord did that. And you know what he said, Firecracker? He said it is good. He said it is good that we have water and air, and then it is good that we have the mix of personalities, yours and mine, and you have inspired a bunch of people. So for today, this is what we're going to do, Firecracker. Today, we're going to go thank a trooper. All right? When this show is done, we're going to go out and thank a trooper, and then we're all just going to say thank you to Firecracker for being a being a positive, patriotic American, calling this show a God-fearing woman. We appreciate you, and I love you back. Thank you, Firecracker. Please tell Catherine, since Rustin Gore, I'll chase him someday. My family's driving them crazy now. I know that for a fact because we all the same. If okay. Me, we all the same. I love Very good. God go with you, Firecracker. That was see now again. We can get these phone calls somehow. The mockingbirds can't find women like this who speak up for their country. Can't do what? Oh, I did. No, someone just sent me a text. I think that's the ma may have heard that phone call in heaven and glory. Yes, indeed. More to follow. Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network. Let me see if I could do this in the way of a Walter Mondale. Uh, former vice president passed away this week, and uh, I wish that he would rest in peace and peace amongst his family. And I do remember as a kid watching Walter Mondale speak. And my family, they're off. Is it true? Yes, all of them are Democrats. I know. It's like I'm trying. Um, and and I remember Jimmy Carter, Walter Mondale, my mom's dad tells us, oh, Jimmy Carter's a nice man. And he's, and look, he's a nice man. He's a terrible, he's a terrible, god-awful president. Horrific. That's about the time I started to become conservative saying, so wait, Dad, how come now we stand in line for gas? How did that work? That we always just drove up and got the gas? And how how that work? And there's a whole bunch of other things that led to that. But I remember seeing Walter Mondale speak, and as a little boy, going, why is he vice president? What's, how come he's special? What's, <laughs> nothing, I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but you kind of look at someone and say, this is it. This is the best and the brightest. And and I mean, I know that it's graduated up to a different level with Joe Biden's dementia installed behind a militarized fence in Washington, D.C., guarded by the military and such. That is, in fact, a, a, a quite another aspect of really people voted for what? But I was never and would never will be the level of political observer uh, that the Maha was. And Rush was very fond of pointing out that Vice President Mondale lost 49 states, 49 states in 1984. Here's Rush talking about when he ran for vice president with Jimmy Carter in 76. Interesting little test I'm going to give you. Do you know who the vice presidential candidates were in 1976? I'll give you a hint. The presidential candidates were Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter. Who were the vice presidential candidates in 1976? If you don't know, this is a great illustration of how irrelevant, in most cases, the vice president is during the campaign. Snurdly, you think you know? Okay, all right. He says Walter Mondale was Jimmy Carter's vice presidential nominee. I'll give you that one. Mondale's right who was Gerald Ford's vice presidential nominee. See? 
I'm sure some of you in the audience are out there shouting at your radios. It was Bob Dole. And Bob Dole and Walter F. Mondale had a debate. There was a vice presidential debate in 1976, and I have Senator Mondale's opening statement. And I want to read this to you. We don't have it on audio, but I have it here. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to listen and recall now that this was 32 years ago, 1976. And I want you to realize how identical it is to what Democrats today, this very day, are saying. And I also want to make a prediction that Joe Biden's opening statement will contain much of the same thing here that you will hear me read from Walter Mondale in 1976. Are you ready? Here we go. Walter Mondale. I believe that most Americans would agree on the problems this country faces and which the next administration must solve. They include the need once again for an economy that works. The economy today is in very, very bad shape. The highest unemployment since the Great Depression, 50% higher than when Mr. Ford took office. Raging inflation. The latest wholesale price indexes once again raising the specter of double-digit inflation. The purchasing power, the average American has slipped so much that is now the equivalent of the purchasing power in 1965. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. All the leading indicators now point downward. Stock investors are losing confidence. Over $50 billion of value has disappeared from the stock market in less than a month. We need a government that works. We need a government that cares. And once again, we have to get back to work on education, on health, on housing, on the environment, on energy. And we need a foreign policy that once again reflects the values and the beliefs of the American people. This will take leadership, and we need leadership, too. The Republican administration, the Republican Party, has had eight years to solve these problems. All of them have gotten worse. The Republican ticket does not offer new plans for their solution, but is engaged in a frantic effort to defend the past. This nation desperately needs new leadership. The Carter-Mondal ticket would offer a new generation of leadership dedicated to solving the problems I have listed, and that is the basis of our appeal. That's Walter Mondale in his opening statement in a debate against Bob Dole, vice presidential debate, 1976, 32 years ago. How much you want to bet, it's almost identical to what Biden says tonight. Not just because Biden might plagiarize it. I mean, I you hold out the likelihood that he'll plagiarize it. But how can it even be called plagiarizing when the same playbook is used for the last 60 years? It doesn't matter what the reality on the ground is. They lie. They try to panic and frighten everybody. Their playbook has not changed. Gloom, doom, Great Depression. They offer change. And then what did we get? Jimmy Carter. And you want to talk about making it worse? Jimmy Carter. Barack Obama following in the footsteps of Jimmy Carter. And now Joe Biden's dementia or whoever's running things. And it is a template. And this is what's so frightening to me about uh, Joe Biden being the figurehead is, look, if you had gone back in time and time traveled and went to Mondal and said, hey, now we're doing this thing where we hate cops and we're going to defund the police and men are women. Mondal just read it in his, in his teleprompter. And then the, the next Democrat nominee would just read it in the teleprompter. See, I've, I've really there is no such thing as, for instance, there's there's no such thing as Joe Biden. There's the family Biden. There's the the you know the gr- the graft business. 
Joe Biden is a series of words put into his head and things he'll say in order to be the top grift in the grifting family. Mitt Romney, Romney's not a grifter. Well, he's a political grifter, but I don't think he makes money that way. He doesn't need it. But there's no such thing as Mitt Romney. He doesn't exist. There's a whole bunch of papers. And you know what he is? He's a binder of opinions. Well, he's a couple binders of opinions. Because on one day, hey, are you conservative? Not only that, I'm a severe conservative, like a like a severe rash. Are you a loving parent? Well, I'm a severe parent. And so they'll read whatever words appear on the screen. It's like that Jim Carrey movie. What was it? Anchorman. That's what figureheads do. Now, in addition to pointing out Montel's 49-state landslide loss, Rush had nicknames for some of his favorite politicians to make fun of. And he was particularly fond of former Vice President Walter Mondale. Of course, I said he's passed away this week. We do, of course, wish he rests in peace. Here's a montage of Rush having fun at the VP's expense. This is shaping up to be 1984 all over again. With Walter F. Mondal saying what he was saying about taxes and two Americas. and In fact, Mondal's the one that invented that. Mondal invented the whole two Americas bit. It reminds me of the time I was at a Democratic convention in uh, San Francisco in, um, guess this would be, 84. Yeah, it was 84. Mondal was the nominee. Walter F. Mondal had a debate. You will hear me read from Walter Mondal in 1976. Are you ready? That's Walter Mondal. Reminds me of Walter Mondal. The Democrat convention 1984 is running against Reagan. I promise you I'm going to raise your taxes. Now, so will Ronald Reagan. The difference is he won't tell you, and I just did. And bye-bye, Democrat Party lost in a 49-state landslide. Throw away plugs. This is a great swan song for plugs. He's been a loyal vice president. He's done whatever the party said. His job is to go out there and be Walter F. Mondal. Yeah, and by the way, on the topic of nicknames, when I refer to Joe Biden's dementia, I, I feel like a bad man. And I want to impress upon people, I promise you, I know dementia is not funny. I can remember my grandfather had it at the, um, in, in, near the end of his life. And my mother's, uh, my mother's husband, the only grandpa my daughter ever knew, had it. I say it because it must be said. This is a man in an advanced state of cognitive decline. In, in a real a universe with, with real Washington, D.C. press, we'd be saying, who is running things? Because it's not Joe. We'll come back with phone calls on Open Line Friday. Todd Herman, your guide host on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman, your guide host on the EIB Network this week. And I will fail to do all the names. And so I will just tell you. The cast behind the scenes who construct these shows for myself and Brent and for Jason um, and for Ken, it is a one labor of love. Two, it's quite a task. The the library of work for three decades from which they, they get to work is also you know the ability to go through and find that. So please extend in your heart gratitude for that as well. We've talked a lot about policing. It's the... The, the change of how police are being treated in public is one thing. The change in how they are themselves perceiving their jobs. You had, if you take away nothing else this week, please take this away. Um, my friends who are cops, in fact, we've heard it from two callers this week, are saying 
you keep this up, you will run the good cops out of business. The new cops don't know a blooming thing about the Constitution. Worse, they think it's a dead document written by racist white men who hated people of color. And they will be of the mind that their job is to get revenge for the past. I checked history. Police forces constructed of people who believe it's their job to exact revenge for sins of the past. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth in every country in which it's tried. But like like communism that's never really been tried, perhaps this form of, you know, revengeism just hasn't been done the right way yet. Let's talk to Gene in Phoenix, Arizona. Gene, you're on the Rush Limbaugh program. Todd Herman, your guide host this week. Welcome, Gene. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Great to be on. I'm first-time caller, but long-time listener. Thank you. Uh, What's you on know, your I, mind, my good friend? Well, actually, I'm glad you said that. So the reason I called before, um, and uh, it was about the, the shooting. We were talking about the policing, but uh, with the Bryant shooting. That's yeah. Uh, obviously, they can control the media, but it's interesting that they, you know, they want to say that you know minorities and black people, whatever, they're scared of the cops, and they, you know, anytime they come around, everyone's scared. They're coming to get them. Well. In this case, they called him. You know, the, the police officer wasn't just riding by yep. looking for trouble, you know, and patrolling the bad neighborhood, if you will, uh, patrolling, excuse me. Um, you know, they called him and asked for help. They showed up. They did exactly what it sounds like they should have done. Um, and I actually watched the video because I, I unplugged from the news. You guys are my news. But I watched it while I was on hold for a while. And it's amazing. Even after that happens, you can see, because I watched that whole video right now, that everyone kind of, they realize, hey, that needed to happen. Even the other people that are there that are her family or friends, whatever. So, again, until the media got a hold of it, this was a, a good thing. It's it's not good that someone died, but a cop did what had to be done. Um, yeah. But then the media gets it, turns it around, and, you know, now everyone is upset. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. it's interesting how that goes, though, you know. And I guarantee, you know, to your point, that yes, the, the people who call the police, I understand, they've been black women, just like in the Jacob Blake case. And the cops came and did what needed to be done, just like in the Jacob Blake case. Um, the and, and in this case, this young woman who was who was attacking this other young woman, that officer made a choice in three seconds that most human beings couldn't make in 30 days. And he made the right choice in my judgment. And I think the video bears that out. And there's also this. Had he not acted, had he got there and said, nope, too hot to handle. I'm a white dude. These are black people. I'm getting back in the car and I'm calling back up. One girl would be dead and you'd have then every other, you know, MSNBC blue check woke a hottest saying, there you go. It's a white cop wanted to see the black girls kill each other. So it's a great point, Gene. I'm glad you called black graduated. Thank you so much. Um, Let's talk to Landon, North Carolina. Landon, we've got about a minute and a half together, my friend. Welcome to Russia show. Hello. Um, so I just first of all would like to say rest in peace to Rush. I have the greatest respect for him now, but formerly I actually didn't. I used to call him, this is when I was like 12, I was not educated and I had, I was not learning anything, but I used to call him like a bigot, an idiot and a racist all the time when I was younger. I had no idea what I was talking about until recently when I was about 17 I started listening to your show on the way home from school, and I realized that everything I said about him was completely wrong. And I'm just calling to say I apologize to Rush and all his listeners. How old are you? I'm 18 now. Hey, Landon, it is a a big man thing 
It's a grown man thing to do what you just did. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of you, mm-hmm. man. I'm really proud of you. And real quickly, what can you think of one thing that, that most turned you around, Landon, uh, when you got to listen to the Maha? I realized that when I was talking to him, when I was listening to his show, I never realized how much, like, how corrupt the Democrats were. And then yeah. I just kind of realized, like, if something just clicked in me after I started listening to his show. I was like, wait a minute. I was wrong this whole time about them. They're not those great people that everyone was talking about. They're terrible people. They're all yeah. they're more racist than they're claiming that they are. Than they're making us to be basically. Yeah, yeah. It's a great phone call. And um, again, it's not an easy thing to apologize. I'm so glad that you're on board. And look, this is the crazy thing about the program is what Rush built with this family and the team and the people behind the scenes and these you know small companies who Rush made into big companies. It's so enduring that that we continue to see this growth, or at least EIB does. I shouldn't say we. I thank you for the phone call, Landon. Thank you for being a stand-up brother. We'll continue. It's Todd Herman, your guide host this week on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman, your guide host uh, this week on the EIB Network. Okay, so we have an hour to go in this week. And believe it or not, we will have um, the call from Joyce. We'll have that in this hour. You're going to hear also next hour in the EIB High Point um, from a woman named Peggy O'Ban, with whom I spoke uh, earlier in our, in our in my Seattle show. She got to escort the Maha to Afghanistan. But it was more than that. She actually got the idea when she worked in the Bush State Department, let's take Rush Limbaugh to Afghanistan and have and have um, America's anchorman see what's going on. She pitched the State Department. There was reluctance, but she got it sold in. And then she got to go visit with Rush uh, in Florida. And I, I believe that Bo was there, snurly to greet her and talk about this trip. You're going to hear uh, some of her observations about Rush in Afghanistan, and including how the State Department people who were prepared to hate the man, like like our last caller, like our last caller, young man who had the uh, you know great uh, emotional intelligence and, and and bravery to call and apologize for having thought Rush a racist and learn better. The State Department people there who were able to observe Rush in that circumstance and say, "Wow, this man knows the topography." He knows the personalities. He knows the history of the country. He's asking better questions than a lot of these so-called leaders who come here. So you'll hear some of that. And I can't even believe that we can pack this in. And this might be physically impossible. But believe it or not, we may have a competitor for the wise Latina on the Supreme Court. Can we get it all done? You'll find out as we roll along on the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. 
Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Change the world for good by putting others before yourself to glorify God. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. With over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Let it flourish. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Who's there for heroes or the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is severely injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans and who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs comprise their In the Line of Duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America in so many ways. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institutes educating kids in K-12 through grades, to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Wow, it has been such fun. That's a pretty inarticulate way to start a national radio show. Wow. How about this? My goodness, it has been... An incredibly fun time to be with you. We had some very serious topics we talked about this week on this radio program. It is Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. And you guys have done a great job of weaving all those things together, the program participants to this show. It is the day the Lord has made and made it for all of us as an opportunity to express gratitude and to feel it, even if the times are weird, and they are weird. And, And look, here's I am developing... A, in this speaking of being inarticulate, it is so obvious to me that in March of 2020, we began seeing like someone flip the switch on. Hey, Bob. Yeah. You got the tyranny switch ready? Yep. Turn her on, baby. Then, then you started to see, hey, it looks like up is becoming down. And we are seeing a flipping of society. And the left is pushing this. So we see things that propel or enhance life or, in fact, allow life to continue being pressed down. Things that grow minds being just stomped upon. 
in for, for very specifically in the selective medically useless deadly lockdowns of schools, churches, and small businesses. Small businesses grow into big business. They provide generational wealth, and if not wealth, they provide freedom. Small business is big freedom. It's distributed decision-making. It's all the things a technocrat would hate. Those are being crushed, but not big business. Schools, well done, properly done, grow minds, and they grow critical thinking skills. And they grow socialization, and they allow children to practice being with one another and conflict resolution and all those things inherent. I know that can happen in homeschooling, too. I'm not saying it can't. Those things have been crushed. Gyms, something as simple as go to the gym and work out. In fact, I mean, we were told to not go to beaches. Do you remember the video of the guy who was surfing in Los Angeles in the ocean by himself? And cops went to drag him out of the ocean. Hey, no vitamin D for you. So if it is helpful to life, if it propels life, if it grows minds, if it grows the spirit churches, if you don't believe in that religiously, then it grows community being crushed. If it is either making big mobbed up businesses bigger or the Democrat Party bigger or the technocrats more powerful or people weaker and in a state of fear, well, goodness gracious, pour on the gasoline. Bob, you got the weak and the people switch. It's right next to tyranny. The Manhattan District Attorney has ended prosecution prosecutions. Okay, factually speaking, most of the women in prostitution have been either trafficked into it or addicted to drugs and pushed into it. There are the occasional woman who will tell you, I enjoy this. Well, okay. The time I've spent around young women who have been sex trafficked, I've never heard that from them. And unfortunately, I've spent a a fair deal of time around young women who've been sex trafficked. To stop the prosecutions of this is to let it grow. And I get the libertarian instinct in me is to say, well, what two people decide to do, that's not two people. There's pimps involved in this. In fact, here's here's the crazy, frightening math. Sex slavery is more profitable today, even per capita, than original slavery was. People people make more money, more margin, as it were, more profit margin, as it were, from that enterprise. And you have whole whole websites that 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 profit from. Don't kid yourself. A lot of online porn is trafficked. There is. It's demonstrably true. Twitter won't take videos down of kids who said, hey, you know, I was 15 when they did that to me. Two instances now of lawsuits where Twitter's going, well, but it doesn't violate our standards. I mean, and that's a very serious thing. And you get into politics and you get into the now everything, everything, if it's sexual, unless it leads to life, it must be promoted. Unless it leads to life being sustained, it must be promoted. And unless it's, you know, unless it's, say, just... uh, a, a relationship between a man and a woman. It it's must be promoted, must be, must be grown, and et cetera. And in fact, there is a great comparison here to the upside downness of the world and, and how it's accelerated. America's enduring forever anchorman noticed something, something really odd about the mockingbird media when it's a popular leftist who gets in trouble for a sexual scandal, like client number nine, like we just played. The media turns around and attacks the principle of controlling sexual appetites. Why will some men risk 
everything for secret trysts with sex workers. The answer may seem obvious, but experts say it's not just about easy sex. Some might be drawn to adventure. Some are attracted to the level of secrecy they think will come with a paid prostitute. Others are looking for a sense of control. You see where this is going? AP is practically trying to explain it in a justifiable way. It could say that they don't know how to be intimate. Oh, of course, the Johns have a reason. They don't know how to be intimate, and you don't have to be intimate with a prostitute. Bev Smallwood quoted here, psychologist in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. She said it could also say that they have a sexual addiction, uh, that they have become desensitized to sex within a more appropriate context, and that they're seeking one more thrill of the chase. Now, but this, let me get deeper here to the story, because this, ladies and gentlemen, the P.S. de resistance. For those of you in Rio, Linda, that means this is the nut graph. Well, they probably know what that is either. This is the big point for those of you in Rio, Linda. This is the point of the story. There's little threat of rejection with paid sex. If you want your wife to behave in ways that push certain boundaries, you might get turned down. If you pick somebody up at a bar and try to ease her out of her comfort zone, you might get partial results. But with a prostitute, you get what you pay for. So the wife is to blame. See, she just won't go all out. She just won't put out, won't entertain her fantasy. So the guy has got to go out, buy the prostitute, get what he pays for, and then she leaves. Why did I do that prostitution story? I just wanted to hear the song, the Spitzer song, and there was really no way to work it in there. But now, during the break, I found something. Show prep never stops on this program. Are humans meant to be monogamous? This is from LiveScience.com. News of politicians, extra news of Democrat politicians, extramarital affairs, Seems to be in no short supply lately, but if humans were cut from exactly the same cloth as other mammals, a faithful spouse would be an unusual phenomenon. Only 3% to 5% of the roughly 5,000 species of mammals, including humans, are known to form lifelong monogamous bonds with the loyal superstars, including beavers, wolves, and bats. Social monogamy is a term referring to creatures that pair up to mate and raise offspring but still have flings. Sexual monogamous pairs mate with only one partner. So, a cheating husband who detours for a romantic romp yet returns home in time to tuck in the kids at night would be considered socially monogamous. Well, fabulous. We're redefining the terms here. Does this kind of story ever happen when some Republican minister is discovered to be flitting around with a man or woman? Does this kind of story ever happen? Do we ever get one of these, say, after Bob Livingston says that he's not going to accept the speakership because he had an affair? Do we ever get stories like this saying it's fine? As long as he got home to tuck in the kids, there's no problem. He's still monogamous. No, my friends, we don't get those kind of stories. It's only after these Democrats get involved. Snurdly, do you realize the great thing this has been for manhood, this story? This story has lifelong application for all of us, guys, thanks to Elliot Spitzer and David Patterson. Just keep a copy of this story in your pocket. Go out to, you know, prostitute or whatever. Go out there and do whatever. And then when you get called on it, say, no, 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 look. Science says I'm still monogamous. And science says that global warming is happening. And you believe that, honey? 
So the flipping of society was in a mere infant stage then. Now just follow this. Follow what the Maha was just talking about. When the, the narrative gets busted and it is a – well, for instance, there was a scene in uh, – I think it was Portland – where some Black Lives Matter Antifa domestic terrorists showed up to protest the shooting, a, a police-involved shooting, and then they found out the guy that got shot was white. They're like, pack it in. Oh, dang it, I made a, a new sign and, and everything. Now, when the officer who does the shooting is black and so is the person who is unfortunately shot, there's the new phrase that the officer was morally white, which is very similar to being socially monogamous, Right. We're going to hear more about Rush and Catherine's support for our heroes. And, yes, the call from Joyce is on the offing as we continue in the EIB Network. Todd Herman, your guide host this week. Oh, it's been a great week of radio because of, well, see that, gosh, that sounded horrible. Great week of radio. I've done myself. No, it's because of this team and what everybody's put together and the program participants. I think changing the language has worked. Because we were inspired by uh, Joe Biden's dementia has ordered that there's no such thing as illegal immigrants. And, and oh, they've now named, according to legal insurrection, the FBI has now named the 2017 attempt to murder Republican congressman a, a suicide by cop attempt. So we're renaming things. I think renaming the callers program participants is, is born fruit. I think it has given people an added sense of uh, of belonging, as they call Russia's program. Um, are we already? No, we're not there yet. So there has never been any question about the support of law enforcement officers on this show, ever. And certainly Rush was very, very serious about making sure cops being government employees are held to account, as all government employees should be, and backing the cops wholeheartedly because 99 point infinity percent of cops should be backed. And Rush and Catherine believe that we have many heroes dressed in blue each and every day. And these are men and women who strap it on. They start their day. They know their lives are at risk. They know their reputations are at risk, but they believe in law and order. And they believe in your safety so much that that becomes their priority. Can you believe this, folks? A police car in Seattle was set on fire while the police officer was sitting inside the vehicle. Now, this is absolutely outrageous. And unfortunately, it's the kind of attack on law enforcement that is happening far too often. You remember, I've been asking this question a lot. You remember when our police and our first responders were seen as American heroes? Everybody wanted to be in their company. They were loved. They were adored. They were appreciated. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you can go back 19 years to 9-11, but you don't have to go that far back. My point is that in less than a generation, our culture has seemingly turned from having love and respect for law enforcement and first responders to outright hatred. And it's been brought to us through the good graces of idiot outfits like Antifa or Black Lives Matter, which are both sponsors and sponsored by the Democrat Party. And it just is mind-boggling how rapidly this has happened. It goes to the, the whole question of 
what kind of country are we? We are a good country. America is the good guys. We are good. But we are up against a political party which does not believe it any longer. Lately, policemen and police women are being lumped into a pool of evil villains. They're being yelled at. They're being attacked, demeaned, shot at, now lit on fire by rioters. People want to defund them. People want to put them out of business. It's truly terrible what's going on out there. And it's not acceptable. Period. It is time we speak out, folks, and support our heroes again. Law and order, safety in our cities and towns should be top priority for all Americans. And appreciation for those on the front lines should never waver. These people put their lives at risk, their families at risk. They're not paid anywhere near the top of the pay scale in America. And yet they do it. They all volunteer. They all have to pass rigorous tests to become uniformed police. Now, I'll tell you what. This incident in Seattle coming off the incident in Compton, California, that one where two sheriff's deputies were sitting in their car and some local weed walks up and fires inside the car point blank. And one of the officers, and these are first-year officers, shot point-blank in the face, is able to get out of the car and rescue and shield and protect her partner and herself. Now this in Seattle. And it's just, it's just a shame. I heard that those officers ultimately lived through uh, that experience, almost certainly because one officer had the six of the others. Speaking of that, let's talk to Dave in Missouri, an active duty police officer. Dave, welcome to Rush's program. Todd Herman, your guide host. I'm so glad you called, Dave. Hi. Todd, thank you very much. Hey, just to let you know with Joe Biden, he's not going to remember what you said anyway, so don't be so upset about it. <laughs> Got it. I feel I, I, I'll stand down on concern. Hey, uh, you and no, no disrespect to the other host, but you and Mark Steiner, my two favorite guest hosts. Uh, so kind of you. I thought I'd do it there. Hey, let me look, let me let me say this, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. My brothers and sisters, we don't look at ourselves as heroes. It's what we do. It's what we signed up for. Um, people don't understand the the camaraderie and the brother and sisterhood of, of this job. Uh, while sometimes our pay sucks, uh, you know it, it's. God, it's the best job going on, even today. There's times I we've been out at restaurants, people comp our bills. There was I know there were uh, three or four policemen and two additional guests. The the bill was probably a hundred bucks, and these people paid it and didn't say anything and just left. Yeah, it it, it touched my heart. It pulled at my heart, brought a tear to me. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? But hey, the heroes never think they are. And I hear you saying, "I'm a, I'm, I'm strap it on. I do my job because I love my job." And you do know that it's about five percent, if that, of people who've ever walked into a gunfight or any kind of. I mean, it's it might be three percent of five percent of men who've ever been in a fist fight. So can you understand how people view you that way? 
I, I, I actually do. I, I, I mean, I do, and I get it. And, and uh, again, no disrespect, but a lot of times it, 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 it's embarrassing to us. But we always, <laughs> we always, it, it, it is. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm used to going home and getting yelled at and saying, you know, go yeah. do this, do that. You know, I get a suspect to do what I want, but I can't get the people I live with to do anything. <laughs> Well, it's almost but, like when you call uh, Rush Limbaugh's radio program and give me the high compliment of saying I'm one of your favorites in, in comparison to Stein and the others. I would just point out, you you are aware Stein is not from this country, right? I mean, you do well, know. I, you know, I, I, I do mean, like the Canadians because <laughs> their maple syrup is phenomenal. Yes. Look, everybody who gets to do this is 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 picked for a reason, all unique talents, etc. I would just ask you just as a favor because I just I've gotten to know this audience over over time. I I accept what you're saying about not being a hero. I accept that that's your view. Just do us a favor cuz you're from Missouri and things are getting hot there. Please just just let again let your brothers and sisters know that a virtual wave from every everyone listening, we just appreciate you, um, and we just hope more people will stop and just give you that form of respect. And I will just tell you this from the bottom of my heart. Uh, as they used to say on a great TV show, be safe out there, okay? If I could, I know you're probably yep. the rest of the time. Uh, we, told about we got like 10 seconds, if that. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? I'll try to talk to another time. Thank okay. you very much. And, uh, hey, I'm from Missouri, home of Harry Truman and Russell Limbaugh. Love it. And we got your emotional six. Thank you. Coming up, you will hear um, about when Rush went to Afghanistan. You'll never have heard this if you haven't heard my local show. Um, it is a, a woman named Peggy O'Ban who took Rush to Afghanistan. You'll hear the experience of that. That's coming up in the EIB High Point for today. We teased this in the first hour. Yesterday, during Russia's program, we had a remarkable phone call. A woman named Joyce from Houston, who shared with us that she's 88, called about how young people in her mostly black neighborhood are being raised to hate the cops. So many program participants and, and drive-by participants to the program called us to say that she moved them so much. We decided to replay her call once again for you today. After starting talking about the Floyd case, George, Joyce caught fire, and she said this. I am so sick and tired of this syntemic racism. There are no organized conspiracies to keep blacks down. There are pockets of bigotry, sure, but they are not powerful enough to keep you down if you have some get up and go about yourself. Mm. And mm. I hear this constantly. And I live in the most dangerous neighborhood in Houston, the sixth in the nation. And we constantly talk about racism, who is keeping us down. And I contend, and it's always said that those old rich Republicans are the reason that our communities have turned, good, nice communities in Houston have turned into ghettos. And those white rich Republicans are the cause of it. And I get so tired of telling my people the old rich white Republicans is not our problem. We are our problem, and until we face the fact that we are our own worst enemies, nothing is going to change. There are blacks in my community, senior citizens, that have gotten broken into and murdered. You don't even know their name, but you know Floyd all over this nation, all over the world, you know Floyd, and he shouldn't have been killed, okay? 
but you don't even know these seniors' names. Ask my Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee when she is up in Washington for getting things ready for illegal aliens to stay here. Ask her, does she know any of these seniors' names in our community? She is our representative. I guarantee you she don't know their names. But I tell you one thing, she sure know about Floyd. And we have got to stop in the black community. I have traveled out of this country several times, and I want to say to the blacks that's listening that you're so angry and you come up with this fake racism and everything. That's not our problem. There's no better place for us. And you're going to sit here and allow people to use you as pawns to mess up what's best for you because there ain't no better place for us. Like I say, I've been several times. There's no better place for us. And I am tired of you blaming someone else. And really, in our community, one of the main reasons that these young people are getting shot and killed, because they didn't have, and especially these young black men, they didn't have no dads in the home. When Obama was in the White House, oh, in my community, they just, oh, we are so blessed we have a black man in the White House. I said, but we need a black man in the black house. If we had black men in these homes, the policemen, if they had these black men in these homes and put something on their behind when they needed it, then the policemen wouldn't have to shoot them when they stopped them because we have taught them to hate the policeman. We teach it from little bitty things. We tell the church, if you're bad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the policeman. You put that in that baby's mind that the policeman is bad. There are a few bad policemen, but basically the policemen are out there to do a job to protect us. And I get so tired of, oh, they arrest more blacks than they do whites. Well, hell, we do more, more crime. So what are they going to do? Just let us go? We have is- to change. That is Joyce uh, from Houston, Texas. And by the way, you don't have to be a lawyer to be on the Supreme Court. Now, just imagine Joyce on the Supreme Court going toe-to-toe with the wise Latina. Well, in fact, you know what? Well, look, think of this. Joyce is a wise woman who happens to be black. So just imagine how amazing it would be to have her on the Supreme Court. I mean, just put it in your mind. Imagine her schooling wise Latina. In fact, let's do this. Here's the Maha himself recalling that phrase for Sotomayor, the wise Latina. She went on to say in that same speech at Berkeley, quote, I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experience would be more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life, unquote. So here you have a racist. You might want to soften that and you might want to say a reverse racist. And the libs, of course, say the minorities cannot be racists because they don't have the power to implement their racism. Well, those days are gone because reverse racists certainly do have the power to implement their power. Obama is the greatest living example of a reverse racist. And now he's appointed one, Sonia Sotomayor, to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, she actually, and put, to put Joyce in there, you don't have to be a lawyer. I am obsessed with that topic a little bit, that you don't have to be a lawyer to be in the Supreme Court. Some conservatives get mad at me, but but you sound so, no, having a, John Adams wasn't a lawyer. Maybe Joyce is a lawyer. We need to find out if she's a lawyer. Let's talk to Jason in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. You're on the Rush Limbaugh program. Todd Herman, your guide host. Glad you called, Jason. Welcome. 
Hey, Todd. Great great to talk to you. I almost ran over to the studio over in Spokane the other day when you were there <laughs> just to wave and say hi. Well, security would have tracked you down and put you on the ground and had to take a bunch of pictures and fingerprints and all, so we can't yeah, have that. well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Welcome. Well, I wanted to let you know. Um, my mom was the only person to get rush thrown in jail. What? Yep. <laughs> the Maha was in jail? Well, back in uh, Sacramento, California, uh, when he very first started on AM 1340 KFTK, uh, every year the police uh, uh, workers and police unions there held a fundraiser. And what they would do is have people, quote unquote, arrested, where they would, you know, be taken to uh, the police station and have to call their friends in order to raise money to uh, get out of, quote unquote, jail. It it was all in good fun. It was kind of televised a little bit and put on on radio. And so when they were doing that, my mom went down to the police station, paid her 50 bucks, and uh, then went on on her way to finish her errands because she was working. And uh, Rush was on the radio when the cops showed up, <laughs> and uh, he started accusing everybody in the studio. It was you! I know you did it! I know it was you! And by the time uh, you know my mom got done with her errands, uh, she goes to the studio and and uh, pokes her her face in the window for for the little door, and he finally notices her and points at her. You! You did it! And so she got to spend the last hour on the radio with him, uh, you know, Diane, the typesetter from down the street. <laughs> that is a fantastic story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Very, very cool. Incidentally, you're in Coeur d'Alene. I'll just say this. Just, I don't even know if there's room. Um, tomorrow night, um, you know where Sandpoint, Idaho is, of course? I'm going to be at the Sandpoint uh, Event Center. It starts about 6 o'clock. I'm going to give a speech there. Um, so if you do want to show up, we won't have that much security there, although we, we will have to now backward trace your phone. I'm just kidding. Love to see you sometime. Jason, thanks for the phone call. Terrific to have you on your program. Such a great memory. Thank you for that. Can we do yeah, was it John in Wenatchee, Washington? John, we've got about a minute, maybe a minute 15 together. Welcome to Russia's show. John, it's Todd Herman, your guide host. Hi, John. Well, good morning, Todd. Uh, good morning. I just wanted to talk about uh something that touched a nerve with me earlier last hour when you're talking about uh good cops getting pushed out uh i uh had some instances that uh led me to leave a uh state law enforcement agency there you're probably familiar with king and pierce county yes um and uh i wanted to say that when the good guys get pushed out it leaves a vacancy and yep. uh, the the difficulty finding quality people to backfill uh, when you push the good ones out leaves uh, leaves a spot for the lower standard yep. individuals to uh, fill those positions, and it's it's kind of a, a downward spiral uh, for the law enforcement community. Yeah, and I, I don't know about Dave in Missouri, but I would say Washington State has a little bit different uh, situation. I've, 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 just because we're short on time, I hate to disrespect your phone call. It's an important phone call. You know, so-called Chief Diaz and others, uh, Diaz in Seattle, is, is not as a human, but as a, as a politician loathed. 
and absolutely distrusted by cops. Mixie Joe Haknick, the King County Sheriff, liked by some of my colleagues. I, in fact, liked her at once. She's become a joke uh, and is is making life dangerous for cops. So I appreciate the phone call, John. Thank you for being on Rush's show. We'll come back. What was it like when Rush Limbaugh went to Afghanistan on the EIB Network? In 2005, Rush decided to visit Afghanistan to get a firsthand look at what was going on. Remember, he'd lost his hearing, relied upon a cochlear ear implant to hear and understand interpreters. Even there, he encountered bureaucrats trying to block his access to the truth. Peggy O'Ban was the trip organizer. She described the process and our Maha Rushi's impact. I was trying to set up an appointment with President Karzai, working with his staff, and Karzai was on board, and it was going to be at the palace. And then come, Rush was preparing for it, and then comes down word from this deputy chief of mission, the uh, foreign service officer, that Rush was just a media guy and that we don't set up appointments for for media to talk to the president and it would be demeaning to him. So all this back and forth with me and the chief of mission deputy that he's not really just a media guy. He's a major opinion shaper and he has uh, more of a following on any given day than any of the network um, commentators that we've tried so hard to get to come to. A mission to actually see the soft power work that America is accomplishing. Okay, so this went on and on. And then, you know, he has the final word. He says, no. Seems to me that Khalizad, the ambassador, was out and I couldn't reach him directly. So I was stuck. And so I calling back to Washington and making clear that we're having difficulty on this one. The cars I supposed to um, is expecting Rush that evening. Of course, Rush doesn't know anything about this. I, yeah. you know, all of these back backstory things. I felt like it was my job to protect him from at the time. So, um, lo and behold, a word word came down directly from the White House, our White House, that our president wanted Rush to be able to talk to President Karzai, <laughs> and the doors flew open. I was yeah. <laughs> so relieved because the yeah. clock was ticking. So instead of a 15-minute sort of, uh, you know, quick kind of preliminary and out the door, they had this rich and wonderful and thoughtful conversation in the palace for, I'm sure it was at least 45 minutes, with Rush free to ask whatever questions he wanted to. And, of course, Rush had always done his homework, and uh, it was a a wonderful thing to see. The respect, the mutual respect, with Karzai knowing that our president wanted him to be able to talk to Rush. It's 8,000 miles between our nation and Afghanistan, half a world away, but not if you're a fellow radio broadcaster. Even in the most remote village of this faraway country, Rush found an admirer of his great talents. Listen to Peggy O'Ban describe. We took Rush up to Herat, which is in the northern area close to Iran. It has this exotic sort of Persian influence and this rich um, heritage with language and poetry. And we introduced him to these young students who were these broadcasters in training. And this was... This was, yeah, you, the look on your face, you know it's coming. But, you know, my feeling about it was that we were like, you know, in the medieval period, just the look of the place and that they would have no idea, you know, who Rush was. We could never say that we were who we were bringing because yeah. that would be a security issue. We just had to say, we'll be visiting, you know, we'll be showing up at a particular time. 
So, you know, we get on the C-130 plane and Rush was fascinated and all the details of the planes and would always talk to the pilots. And we get up there and it's, it was a typical get into the armored vehicles and it's this bumpy ride way out a dirt road. And here's this broadcaster and training program, which, as I told you before, means radio in, yeah. in Afghanistan. Nothing else but radio is the media because of the illiteracy rate and the lack of, you know, television, et cetera. So Rush spoke a little bit and, and they asked questions and the questions that he asked that were asked were questions like, how do you balance liberty, justice, and objectivity? Oh. You know, the questions, and, and then he just would like, you got to be kidding me. You're asking me the question that I wish every journalist at home <laughs> would care about, you know, wow. so he was getting more and more encouraged about this next generation of broadcasters and training and then we went into this back room where the engineer sort of people were that works at machinery and there was one guy who was a little older he was maybe 21 or 22 and I introduced him as Rush Limbaugh and his whole face looked like I had just said now this is God <laughs> I want you to meet God yeah he knew exactly who Rush was he was so thrilled he could oh. hardly talk. I was afraid he was going to get down on his knees. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't do that. Just, That'll end poorly in Afghanistan. That, oh, yeah. so true. Yeah. And it was just so sweet because Rush oh. was so touched, you oh. know, that they would have heard of him way in the hinterlands. And um, after a day of hearing all the right questions to now meet someone who thought of him as the sort of ultimate, um, pretty darling. Yeah, really sweet. Wonderful you to know um we didn't have time to get all of peggy o'ban's comments on the air in this eib high point is that um rush refused to leave um one of the the camps anywhere he went were their troops when the troops wanted to see him rush refused to leave the area until everybody who wanted to see the maha did and he turned to peggy and said are you sure that's how much he loved you we'll wrap up the day next in the eib network Amongst the many differences of these breed of mammals, that is us human beings, um, God gave us the ability to speak in ways that can be observed by all. You today have participated in the greatest town hall, not, not because I did it, but because Rush built it here, right, with you as participants. And while we can still speak of freedom, we can still defend it together. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the EIB Network. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young kids, builds specially adapted smart homes for severely injured veterans, and is working to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He has never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades-in-arms, nor the efforts of his first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor. Tunnel of Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 
If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code CLAY in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer.